The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. Um, I want to thank uh, Ron for leading those songs. It was a a difficult week for him to uh, choose uh, songs that went around, along with our lesson, but he did a fantastic job, and so, as we'll see this morning as we kind of introduce this, uh, I think, important subject. Um, sometimes it's a subject that we don't talk about much here at the church, but it's being talked about everywhere, everywhere else, and we find a lot in the Bible about this, and so we should be talking about this, but um, uh, th- those songs regarding the Trinity and creation itself will, will come to play as, as we begin to talk about um, this subject. It's not always an, an easy thing to, to talk about, but it's something that we encounter. I hope you'll come back the following weeks. We're just going to kind of lay the groundwork this morning and kind of build upon that. Well, in 2004, uh, Time Magazine ran a 60-page spread on human sexuality. And, and, of course, they're addressing this subject from a secular point of view. But they asked, I believe, some of the right questions. And so here's part of what they said. Of all the splendidly ridiculous, transcendently fulfilling things humans do, it's sex that most confounds understanding. What in the world are we doing? Why in the world are we so consumed by it? The impulse to procreate may lie at the heart of sex, but bursting from our sexual center is a whole spangle of other things, art, song, romance, obsession, rapture, sorrow, companionship, love, even violence and criminality, all playing an enormous role in everything from our physical health to our emotional health to our politics, our communities, our very lifespans. Why should this be so? Did nature simply overload us in the mating department? Or is there something smarter and subtler at work? Some larger interplay among sexuality, life, and what it means to be human. Sex touches on various aspects of our lives. It is the inspiration behind many pieces of art, books, songs, etc., It plays a role in politics and and who we decide to vote for. And it's not uncommon for a crime of passion to make the local or even the national news. It is an important part of marriage. It is an intimate act that joins two people together. Why does sex influence so many things in our lives? Why does it capture our attention? And these are the questions that were asked by that Time Magazine article. And and they provide two possible answers. One, maybe it's a fluke of nature. Maybe it's just who we are. It's just biology and, and hormones and nothing more. Or two, maybe there's something subtler and smarter at work. Some larger interplay among sexuality, life, and what it means to be human. And I would suggest that the latter is true. There is a deeper meaning behind sex, gender, and marriage than we might realize. And so how we talk about sex matters. 
And it's not just a list of don'ts. I know that's sometimes what we get pegged for as, as Christians. Um, but, but that's not all the Bible has to say about this. In fact, one of the first commands that we find in Scripture is to be fruitful and multiply. And so sex, we discover, was a part of God's original plan. It was something that God considered good. It's not something that we should be ashamed of. But we should recognize that there are ways to glorify God with our body and that there are ways that not to glorify God with our body. And so throughout the Bible, we find all kinds of sexual relationships. Uh, the patriarchs practice polygamy. David involves himself with another man's wife. We're told in 1 Kings 11 and verse 3 that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. There are cases of rape and incest, and it's not always a pretty picture. In the times of Jesus, some Jews were practicing easy divorce, and so men were putting away their wives out on the street for such things as maybe burning the toast. And in a patriarchal society, a woman without a husband had no rights. She had no way of making a living. And Jesus sought to protect women against this cruel and ungodly practice. And in so doing, he gives us a clue for how to look at gender, marriage, and sexual relationships. Ever since the fall, love has been distorted. And we see that played out in many ways in Scripture as well as the world around us. But Jesus came to restore the order of love. We see this in his instructions to the Pharisees in Matthew 19. And so he says there, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? To practice easy divorce, basically. And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they, no longer, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so the key to sexual ethics is to go back to the beginning. It's to look at God's original plan for humanity. A proper understanding of the body starts by looking at creation. And so Jesus understands that there's been a, a lot of things that have happened throughout history. There have been different ways that God's people have handled or addressed sexuality. But if we really want to restore love to what it should be, then we must look at the first few chapters of Genesis. And the first thing that God says about humanity is of utmost importance. And so in Genesis 1.27, we find this little piece of Hebrew poetry where it states, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so the Bible begins by identifying human beings as something special, something unique. Now, human beings are in no way God. We don't come close to God. But we do contain 
the image of God. And so God can be seen in us. God, who is spirit, is reflected some way in human beings who are flesh and blood. The physical is representative of something spiritual. And I think we're familiar with this. Baptism is an important physical act that represents something spiritual. And so in baptism, our sins are forgiven and we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we cannot see our sins being forgiven. We cannot see the Holy Spirit entering our bodies. But we can see a baptism, which is a physical symbol of what's going on spiritually at that same time. And the same is true of the Lord's Supper. It is a physical act where we encounter the presence of Jesus. We do not see Jesus in our midst, but we know that each time we break the bread and drink the wine that he is with us. And something similar is going on with us as human beings. We have the privilege and responsibility of imaging God here on earth. Now, this has become more difficult after the fall since sin has entered into the world. We are cracked vessels. We are broken people. And this is why Jesus came to earth. He came to restore what was broken and to redeem what was lost. And one of the things that had been badly broken was this order of love. Sexual desire can be a beautiful thing, or it can be a very ugly thing. At its worst, it leads to violence, pain, and despair. At its best, the love that two people share between each other can be a reflection of the very love of God. And so one way that that people fail to honor God is when they treat human beings as objects rather than treat them as people created in the image of God. This is the root of many awful and, and ugly things in our world. How could the Nazis kill six million Jews, one and a half million of them being children, Well, you simply tell yourself that they're not human. How can a person rape or murder another human being? Well, you treat them as an object. And treating people as an object doesn't just mean that we murder and rape. We treat people as an object when we practice cheap divorce. We treat people as an object when we look at pornography. We treat people as an object when we physically, mentally, or sexually abuse them. There are many ways to treat people as objects rather than as someone special who has been created in the image of God. And this is significant. This is important because how we treat people who have been created in the image of God is a reflection of how we feel about God and how we view God. And so we honor God when we respect the image of God in others. Genesis also reminds us that the physical is good. 
Now, long ago, the, the Greeks believed that the physical is evil and the spiritual is good. And over time, this belief has, has crept into Christianity. But, but Scripture teaches us that whatever God has created is good. And the very last verse in Genesis 1 states, God saw everything that he made. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so at the very end of creation, and after God had made all things, after he had finished with all his work, he looked around and he said, it's very good. Christianity holds a very high view of the body. We believe that we were created and designed by God. We believe that we were created in the image of God. We believe that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our physical bodies are important. And what we do with them is important. And so we should always strive to honor God with our bodies. Well, holding a high view of our bodies does not mean that we enjoy life any less. I would suggest that when we enjoy our bodies and the other physical things that God has blessed us with in the proper way, it's only then that we find true enjoyment and, and we find the true blessing that God wants for us. And so God wants to bless us. He wants us to enjoy our life. Again, the first command he gives human beings is to be fruitful and multiply. And so sex is not bad. It's a good thing. However, like anything in life, we find true freedom when we enjoy things within their proper limits. And so freedom is not just doing whatever we like. Uh, that's the definition of anarchy. And I, don't, I do not know very many people who are in favor of that. Freedom, though, is finding the right rules and guidelines to live by. And so a fish is only free when it's living in the water. If it uses its freedom to get out of the water, then the fish dies. Sexual freedom is not having 700 wives and 300 concubines. That was a disastrous situation that ruined Solomon. Sexual freedom is loving one person with your entire being and, and giving yourself to that person and sacrificing for that person and being loved in return. And so one of the questions that arises when discussing Genesis 1.27 is, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? And there are different answers to this question because there are different ways that, that God's image has been imprinted on us. But one clue is found in the text itself. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image. And so this passage is a little hint of what is to come. The Bible will later reveal that God is one, but he's also three. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. How can this be? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in perfect union. There's a perfect 
relationship of giving and receiving between the three. God is love because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly display what love is. One chapter later, we find a similar verse in Genesis 2.24, but this time it speaks of human beings. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. How do two become one? What happens between a man and a woman is not the same as what happens between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's similar. We are called to live in a perfect union. We are called to mutually give and receive. We're called to love and sacrifice. And when we live and love in such a way, we are imaging God. We are reminding people of what true love can be. Paul takes it further in Ephesians 5. He quotes this passage. He quotes Genesis 2.24. And then in verse 32, the very next verse, he says, this is a great mystery. And I'm applying this to Christ and the church. And so when we love right, when we do marriage right, when we understand that, that every human being has been created in the image of God and we refuse to treat people as mere objects, when we fully give ourselves to our spouse, we are living out the gospel. A perfect marriage should remind people of Jesus and the church. This is how important marriage is. It's not just about us. It is not selfish in any way. Love and marriage are ways that we imitate God. And marriage is a holy union where God's image is to be seen. And because of this, We cannot take it lightly. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the blessing of marriage. We thank you for the the love that we have for our spouses. We thank you for the love that you've shown us. And we are challenged by your word to love in the same way, to remind people of what love can be, and to show your image in the way that we treat the people who are closest to us. Help us to be great spouses. Help us to be examples to the people around us. Help us to love like you love. We're so thankful for Jesus who shows us this love in a physical way, who took on a body and came to earth and gave himself for us. May we be challenged by his sacrifice. We pray this in his name. Amen.